0: Am I on? Oh, I am. Good morning, everyone. If you would be kind enough, as you're doing all the rest of this stuff, to uh, that little half sheet of paper that you received, if you would be kind enough to um, do what it asks. And no one else will see this. This isn't one of these things that... uh, That somebody else is gonna be looking at. This is just this is for your eyes only. Oh, can I do that? Maybe I won't. Oh, I will use this one. No, can I use this one over here? No. Oh, is there an extra one? Totally awesome. Man. So we have been dealing with Philippians, right, for quite a long time, I, over a year now. How crazy is that? And uh fact of the matter is, I started Philippians because of chapter 3. Because I really wanted to study Philippians. Because uh, chapter 3 has been something that um, has been life verses for me for a long time. Um, I need to start this morning with an apology. The apology is that... I think this is going to be messy. I think today is going to be messy. And because it's going to be messy, it's going to be messy. Okay, so I apologize for that. Um, I don't know if I will get across what I need to get across or I'm supposed to get across. I don't know. I don't know if I will offend someone or not. I don't know. I don't know. I do know that it's that I'd I'd like to think that that what I think the Lord has wants to say this morning is important, and consequently, the reason why um, it's important that we that we we have time at the end of the meeting with uh, with just some worship time and then communion. So we'll be doing both of those things. So I'll I'll apologize from the beginning. You ready? Well, oh, you're ready. Nice. Yeah, thank you. So, I've been teaching a long time. And one of the things that I've learned is that there are two types of things that we learn in the world. Can I have it back? Thanks. <laughs> Good catch, yes. Nice. That there are some things that are taught. Look out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. I use this for my students. There are some things that are, that are taught, but the important things in life are caught. They can't be taught to you. You're either there to catch it, or you're not. You're either awake, <laughs> or like that, you're not prepared. So, today, I think, is going to be one of those things. For some of you, this will be something that you won't catch. (laughs) Nice work. Thanks. That was exactly what I wanted. Be some things that you won't catch. Some of you will catch this, and some of you won't. And I have no idea who you are. And perhaps you have no idea who you are. I have been working on catching this stuff for decades, I have been working on catching this for decades. And the reason why it's going to be messy is because I haven't, I haven't caught it yet. At least not in the way that I want to catch it. I haven't caught it. But it is the desire of my heart. The, probably the most biggest desire of my heart to catch it. To catch this. But I know this is not something that anyone can teach me. Now, we have been aware that Pastor John has been mixing things up a little bit. Been making some changes, wanting to, wanting us to be aware of, of, of being aware of what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. And in some ways, we've succeeded, in some ways, we haven't. Um, How many of you would agree with this statement? Did I do it right? I did. The safest place is to be in the center of the will of God. You don't have to raise your hands. But make a decision on that, whether you think that that's correct. Now, if that is the truth, then when the Holy Spirit moves upon us to do something, that should not be a problem. So why is it? Why is it that... We have a hard time doing that. Why is it that it took one of us in our members, what, four months to come to the place of being willing to do what he felt the Holy Spirit was speaking him to do? And of course, I'm talking about Tom, who had, who presented his song yesterday, and it was about what? Do you remember what it was, or last week, remember what it was about? Comfort Zone. And in fact, here is the bridge of his song. Now, it took him what? October of last year. That's when it's written. How long did? How long was it that the Holy Spirit placed it upon your heart to do something with this? (laughs) So, three months. It took you three months, pretty much. Two and a half, something like that. Right. Um, and, and your experience is absolutely human, normal, and common. But now take a look at his words. You can't go wrong if you never go. It's reruns watched of canceled shows. A comfort change I now must sow. It took till now for me to know. You can't, I'm sorry, you can take your comfort, but get it to go. But there's something wrong with being comfortable. Now, inside of us, intrinsically, we buy that last line. We know that there's something to the fact that if we are 100% comfortable, eh, something's not quite right. But, we still buy this. So, what's the thing here? Now, some of you have heard of, of a guy by the name of Erwin McManus. He wrote a number of books, and one of them is called The Barbarian Way, and he has some things to say about this concept of comfort zone. Christianity is a civilized religion, sorry, Christianity as a civilized religion claims to have a group plan negotiated with God. Everybody gets the same package, and of course the package is always the premium plan. Get rich, get comfortable, get secure, get well when you get God. That's what we were taught, right? The result and the proof of faith is that you get to live in a life without risk. You get to live in a life without risk, a comfort zone. The, the, God's will is the safest place to be. And then he makes a comment, how ironic, realizing that for the early church, Faith was a, and you can just barely see it, a risky business. He goes on to say this then as well. Instead of concluding that it is best to be where God wants us to be, we have decided that wherever it is best for us to be is where God wants us. Actually, God's will for us is less about our comfort than it is about our contribution. Apologize for the T there. God would never choose for us safety at the cost of significance. God created you so that your life would count, not so that you can count the days of your life. Now, there's something inside of us that agrees with this, right? There's something inside of us that goes, ooh, yeah, that kind of hurts, but yeah, okay. Okay, but what do we do with this? Here's the great teacher. I don't know, this sounds to me like comfort zone again. Come all, come to me all, you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Was Jesus lying? No, he was not. Did we forget to release the kids or did they get released? Huh? Are we all right? Okay, great, sorry. No, 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 that's okay. I just want to make sure that, because, you know, I forget those kind of things. Do you see the disconnect here? On the surface? Jesus seems to be saying comfort zone. Comfort zone. Yet Erwin and Tom might suggest to you differently. And yet that that statement the center of God's will is the safest place to be is comfort zone. I think we have a disconnect here. And I think this is a good disconnect that we need to deal with. I think what needs to occur is we need to redefine our definition of comfort zone. Which is very much what Tom's song is, is, is talking about, I think. It's redefining the definition of comfort zone. Now, I believe that Paul has some things to say about this in the, in the, uh, in the third chapter. So let's, let's take a look at it. So this is Philippians three one. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is, and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to the zeal, persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Well, what's the first thing he says? What's the first thing he says up there? Finally rejoice in the Lord. Finally, brothers, like he's going to (laughs) finish. Which is awesome. I love it. He didn't know what was going on either. (laughs) Finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. The word there, the Greek word rejoice, can be translated as the old song of the 1980s. Don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Don't worry, be happy. That's how it can, how rejoice in the Lord. I don't know sounds like comfort zone to me and then he makes a statement about and we can we kind of know what this means we know that there was a sect that came out of Jerusalem who were requiring christians to become circumcised they had to follow the law of moses in order, in order to be to be uh, to be a christian and he was very much set against this and he wrote this numerous times in his letters he called them mutilators of the flesh and they felt that they had important things, they felt that they had, they, they were making this point that you needed to have in the flesh some, some legitimacy, some significance. And his response is, well, but I have more. He's disagreeing with them, of course, and then. But I have more. So let's let's take a look at some of the things that Paul was saying. Now, circumcised on the eighth day. The reason why that was important is that any time the uh, the Israelites took over a country, they would, if they didn't kill them all, they would immediately circumcise all the all the guys. So they were these were guys that were circumcised at different times. But if you were a Jew, you were circumcised on the eighth day. I mean, that was that was the law. So how about the rest? the, of the nation of Israel. Now remember that Paul grew up in Tarsus of Cilicia. He did not grow up in, in Israel or or Judea. And so I'm guessing that was one of the things that, that the mutilators of the flesh had against him. He really, he's a Greek which Yes, he grew up in Tarsus. But his response is, I'm, I'm of the nation of Israel. And what else? He continues the list of the tribe of Benjamin, and Benjamin was the smallest tribe, but it was very important in a lot of ways. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews, which means that both of his parents were Hebrews. And there, in his lineage, there were no Gentiles. That the, that the lineage that he came from was entirely Hebraic. So he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. In other words, there were many different sects, but he was a Pharisee, and in fact, he studied under the, the best rabbi, rabbinical teacher of the first century, Gamaliel. So he studied under the best. So he's, and he's saying, these are all things that make me significant. If they think they're significant, I have more so. And these are my list. And then he, as of his zeal, he killed people for God. He killed people for God. Do we know of people today who kill people for God? Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Paul was a terrorist. Look at the actions of it. look at his actions. Paul was a terrorist. He went and terrorized people because they didn't think like he thought, and he threw him in jail and killed him. So, but at this point, while he's not necessarily saying, you know, I'm a terrorist, he's saying, look at my zeal for God. I have so much zeal that I actually killed people. I put them in prison. And then he says, according to the law, he's blameless. Now that's a, that's a totally different story and that's just an interesting point. Okay, so let's bring this a little bit down home. How about moi? How about me? Well, I was circumcised on the first day. (laughs) Of course, all of us were, right? (laughs) Guys. (laughs) Because that's what our, that's what our society does, right? That's what our society does. But see it's kind of a similar thing. All right, so I'm a teacher. That's one of the things that I do. I'm a teacher. You notice how Paul's how Paul's rules kind of went down this way? His his significances started big and they went down and down and down and down and down until he said I am blameless. Can all the rest of them say that they're blameless? So it was kind of one of these things or one of these things depending which direction you're going. So I'm kind of doing the same in in a kind of a joking manner, but I'm doing the same so not only am I a teacher, but I'm an orchestra teacher. And there are fewer orchestra teachers than there are teachers. And I have been building orchestra, t- orchestra programs for 39 years. I have done the same thing my entire life. I've kept the same, the same gig, different buildings, different school districts. But I've done it all of my life, and I, and I, I know what I'm doing. Um, I'm highly respected by my colleagues and my students. I've received two of the highest awards that can be given to Minnesota music teachers, and I've received the highest award given to a Stillwater District teacher. And my beloved wife's response to that is yes, that and a buck and a half will get you a cup of coffee. <laughs> Which is absolutely true. So, so, but something happened to Paul now after he made this list of things. So let's continue. Now, this is the beginning of some of my life verses. You guys know what life verses are? Life verses, you're you're, you're reading along in the Bible, and they just kind of go, wow! So this is one of my life verses. This set of verses is one of my life verses. And about three or four years ago, I don't remember which, I stumbled across a, a translation that really helped me understand what Paul is saying. Because some of this, some of these words just sound a little religious to me and you know how some, when we grow up and it's just a little hard to. so I'm going to offer to you this other translation this is from what's called the New, uh, the New English Translation the Net Bibles I, mean, I would imagine some of you are, are familiar with it so let's look at the same passage and let's just look at it in a little different light but these assets I have come to regard as liability. because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. Indeed, I regard them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having And not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have a righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness, a righteousness from God that is, in fact, based upon Christ's faithfulness. What an incredible change. I think you can tell what words jumped out of me when I first read this translation. Assets and liabilities. Assets and liabilities. So this is a huge change in Paul's thinking. You remember the first time so what, when he began writing all these things down. Before he met Jesus, these were all the things that he took confidence in. We know that. We know a bit of, a bit of his past. He explains it. He explains what, what he did before the road to Damascus. And we also know that he, uh, that he thoroughly agreed with the stoning of, of Stephen. We know all these things but what happened in Paul's thinking that caused him to come to this place? He continues. My aim is to know him, to experience the power of his resurrection, to share in his sufferings, and to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain from the resurrection of the dead. Paul redefined the most important thing in his life. And he said, "The most important thing is that I may know Jesus." And the word he used there is interesting. Greek has different words to know, to, which are translated to know. They have three of them to be exact. And this one is the word "gnosko," which means experientially. In fact, I think the next one is the is the Amplified. Yes, there is the Amplified, which we all know the Amplified Bible. We don't like to read it because unless we're <laughs> because it uses so many words. That I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognizing and understanding the wonders of his person more strongly and more clearly. That's That's Paul's goal. That's Paul's goal. That's Paul's goal. To experience his sufferings, the fellowship of his sufferings. The word, the word translated fellowship of his sufferings. In this translation, uh, share, experience, I'm sorry, to share in his sufferings. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong, forgive me. I, I believe it's, it is the word koinonia, which is also translated communion. To have communion with his sufferings, I don't know. Doesn't sound like comfort zone to me. But Paul is saying, this is my comfort zone. This is is what I want to do. This is what I want to be. To share in his sufferings, to be like him in his death? What the heck? Paul, you're a wackadoodle. But because I think he saw something that's hard to translate, and it's that very end thing, that I may somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. When I first read this, years and years and years and years ago, I just figured, well, that's going to heaven. And then I read it in the Amplified. And I think Paul's on to something. Here's the Amplified. That I may attain to the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me out from among the dead, even while in the body. I don't think Paul is talking about life after death. It literally, the literal is something like from out among the dead or from out of the dead. So Paul saw something here. Paul saw that there was something that he could attain to that was magnificent and far beyond anybody else's ideas or concepts. And it had to do with the life currently, not his life after death, but his life currently. And he saw the only way to do this was to know Jesus. To know him. To know the power of his resurrection. The fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That I may attain to the out resurrection from among the dead. The trouble with using so many different translations it's hard to, hard to know which one to memorize. <laughs> it's always my problem. Okay, so... Where are we going with this? This is something I believe that's caught, not taught. There's not much I can do. There's not much any teacher can do. This is something that's caught, not taught. Paul is saying something to us. And I think for us, it's going to get a little dicey. I think for us, at this point in time, it's going to get... And I may start winding up offending you, and I think you've probably already figured out where I'm going with this. Because you see I'm on this road. I'm on this road. I'm as much on this road as, as I maybe probably more on this road than, than anybody. And I'm kind of preaching to myself. So the question becomes this what's in your wallet? Not financially of course. What's in your wallet? What are your assets? What are the things that you take confidence in? What are the things that you take confidence in? Oh, I'm going to go back a second. Because I would like to suggest that it is these things that you take confidence in are the very things that are keeping you from knowing Christ. I know that is true for me. The very things that I take confidence in, that list of things, along with many others, Those are the things that keep me from knowing Jesus. They're the things that keep me from knowing Jesus. And, uh, there were, there are two times in the scriptures that I'm aware of that Paul, in my opinion, is offensive. That Paul, in my opinion, is inappropriate for Bible talk. One of them is when he, when he talks about the mutilators of the flesh and he suggests that they go all the way. Think about what that means. Guys, ooh, right? These are the ones that are requiring people to be circumcised. And his response, I just wish they went the whole way. And here's the second place that that I think Paul is actually perhaps being a bit offensive. Because the reason, the word that he uses, that he translates, that is translated rubbish or refuse in some of our Nicer translations is in fact the word "skibolon," and it means excrement, the excrement of animals. It is the first-century Koine Greek word for "shh," and Paul used it in, ten, in, in strategically, intensely in. In, on purpose, that's the word I'm trying to think of. He used it on purpose. He wanted to shock the Philippians. He used it for shock value because he wanted them to understand how he considered his assets. He considered them as excrement, fecal matter, the stuff you leave in the toilet every day. That's what he considered his strengths, his assets to be. And if Paul has to do it, guess who else has to do it? Because, but these assets I have come to regard as liabilities because of Christ. More than that, I now regard all things as liabilities, all things, all things as liabilities, liabilities. Folks, you know what a liability is? You have car insurance, right? And you have liability levels, right? And you want to make sure your liability level is higher than the accident that you just caused. Because if you just caused an accident of $75,000 and you only have a liability level of $60,000, you're going to have to spend $15,000 of your own money to take care of that problem. So you make sure you have a high enough liability so that when you have an accident, when you hurt somebody else, when your actions harm somebody else, you've got somebody's bigger pockets than you will take care of your problem, your liability. That's what a liability is. A liability is something that makes us less valuable. It makes us something that is distasteful or problematic or an issue or less than who we want to be or costly. That's a liability. And Paul is saying all the things that he considered as assets, he now considers as liability. Liabilities. Compared to the greater value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And in, in fact, I regard them as skybalon, excrement. The stuff I leave in the toilet every day. That's the stuff. That's what I consider. Why did he do this? Because he saw the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus. You see, our problem... Well, where am I going? Yep, okay. So we can't gain... That would be my suggestion. That unless we consider, and until we consider our liabilities, our assets liabilities, unless we consider them sky we're going to have a hard time gaining Christ. Now, when I showed these these uh, these notes to my beloved wife, <laughs> she said, "Now, what are you going to make people feel bad?" <laughs> well, you, you you can be you can be com- confident to know that that she did sign off on the on the notes in their their their, their final form. So, but this isn't intended to be a, a a beat you down situation. This isn't intended for that. But it is intended. Two, for us to reconsider and redefine our comfort zone and recognize what our flesh produces, and in fact, our flesh produces skybalon in many different ways. So the question becomes, where are we 24 /7? Are we in the flesh or are we in the lord's presence? And that, I think, is part of the reason why we have a hard time hearing the voice of the Lord, and doing what he asks us to do because we're we're not committed to being in his presence 24-7. We find up wind up going after God when we're in need. We wind up going after God when we're in crisis. We wind up going after God when we want something from him. We wind up going after God, going towards God when we want to rather than 24-7. Now, this is the cool part. Paul himself says, not that I have already attained this. Whew. This book was written about, what, 62 AD. And if you, if you think about that, his, his ministry probably started somewhere in the late 30s. So he was, he was a minister of the gospel for what, 30 years or so? 25 years? And this is Paul's This is Paul's ministry we're talking about. And after 25 years of hanging out with God, getting visions, yada, 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 he still says, not that I have already attained this, but what's his response? But I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Now, this to me is one of the greatest verses in this whole thing. Because we know that God is not a respecter of persons. Agreed? If God laid hold of Paul for something specific, that means he laid hold of us for something specific. And you know what's even cooler? 25 years, 25 years of ministry, and Paul still said, I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus laid hold of me. And then he said, brothers of I, I do not consider myself having attained this. Oh, my word, this is amazing. Can anybody agree? Can anyone relate to Paul in this situation? But look at his attitude. Look at his attitude. I strive to lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. I know it's there, and I'm going to go for it. That is the most important thing. I'm going to reach for it. I'm going to press on for it. I'm not going to let anything get in my way. And then, do not consider I've attained this. Instead, I am single-minded forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. Can you sense his urgency? There is nothing that is going to stop this guy from getting these things. Nothing. His mistakes, people that get in his way, his liabilities, his assets. There is nothing that's going to get in this guy's way. with this goal in mind, I strive towards the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I don't have that attitude. But man, I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. I I don't want anything else more than that. I don't want anything else more than that. I want this. Here's the cool part. That was almost 2,000 years ago. And for 2,000 years, we've had normal human beings that have had the same attitude and the same desire. So the question becomes, what would these people say about the same issue? You recognize some of these names, and more besides, I'm sure. Augustine, Madame Jean Guillaume, Brother Lawrence, Andrew Murray, Thomas Akempis, Frank Laubach, St. John of the Cross, George Mueller, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Jean Edwards, Julianne of Norwich... St. Teresa of Avila, Richard J. Foster, A.W. Tozer, Thomas Merton. Keep the list going. These are people who had the same feeling as Paul, the same desire to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death that I may attain to the resurrection from out among the dead. Oops, go back. So I would think that their response to the whole concept of redefining comfort zone, and is this possible, would be yes. Yes. But their response, I think, hey, it's going to cost you something. And what it is, it's going to cost you your assets. Now, uh, one of my favorite ones, at least recently, has been Andrew Murray. I really like Andrew Murray. Anybody know Andrew Murray? A few of you do? <laughs> one? <laughs> Thanks, Vern. Andrew Murray was a, uh, was a preacher in South Africa in the late 1800s. See, all these old dead guys and old dead women, Teresa Vavila, Avila, Madame Jean Guillaume, they're all there, uh, uh, Julianne of Norwich, all these old dead people really have something to say to us. See, because they've walked this path. We do not have to walk, we do not have to reinvent the wheel. The wheel has been invented. People have walked this path. They have looked at these verses and they have said, my assets are liabilities, what do I do? I want to know Jesus. What do I do? I want to understand this conflict between comfort zones. What do I do? And all of these people have said things. And, and at least at the moment, one of my favorites is Andrew Murray. Andrew Murray was a, uh, was a preacher in South Africa in the late 1800s. And he wrote a number of books, not the least of which is one called... When I saw the title of this book, I thought, oh no. This is not going to be a good book for me to read. But I started reading it anyway. The title was... Absolute surrender. Absolute surrender. Great book. Great book. Essentially, it's this: absolute surrender. You got to do it, but you can't. It's impossible for you to do it, but you, so you have to let God do it, and God will do it for you. He will. Main, he will make it happen. He will maintain it, and he will keep you there. You just got to want it. That's it. That's all you got to do, and let go of your liabilities recognize that they're skyballed. So here's one of the first quotes, and this is from absolute, uh, Absolute Surrender. The condition for obtaining God's full blessing is absolute surrender to him. Here's somebody who's been around the block and knows. Another one. If God allows the sun to shine on you moment by moment without intermission, will not God let his life shine upon you every moment? Question mark. Dot, dot, dot. And why have you not experienced, question mark, dot, dot, dot. Because you have not trusted him for it. And you do not surrender yourself absolutely to God in that trust. Here's another one. The cause of the weakness of your Christian life is that you want to work it out partly. And you want to let God help you. Oh God, I'll do anything you want me to do as long as I want to do it too. Oh God, I'll go there. Oh, there was a great, years and years and years ago, there was a Peace Corps uh, uh, commercial. And it was just, I don't remember exactly how it goes, but the, the bit that I remember is this, this guy was saying, uh, I'll take Manhattan, you know, where, where are you going to go in the Peace Corps? And this guy says, I'll take Manhattan. And the other person says, you'll take Afghanistan. <laughs> so the issue is that we like to make deals with God. God, I'll serve you, but... God, let me say goodbye to my parents, or let me bury my father, or let me do this, or let me do that. And of course, Jesus' response was, ain't going to cut it. You follow me or not, period. There is no gray, black and white. You follow me, period. Do what I ask you to do. Obedience is the key. You must, uh, and that cannot be, you must come to be utterly helpless you must come to be utterly helpless. To let God work, and God will work gloriously. There's another one. If I am something, then God is not everything. But when I become nothing, God can become all. And the everlasting God in Christ can reveal himself fully. And that is the higher life. We need to Become nothing. Here's another one of my favorites. You know, I'm so looking forward to meeting these guys, but this next guy, I'm really. This guy, next guy's book is just, it's on my, it's on my stand where, where I, I hang out with the Lord, and I, it's one of those books you start and you go through it and you go through it and you start, and you know, it takes you a year to read and you go back and you read it again and you go back and read it again and back. Because there's just so much. There's so much. And it's good old Brother Lawrence. Practicing the presence of God. Anybody know that book? I mean, really, it's you can you can get this on a PDF. It's fare. It's a it's a Gutenberg document. Every single one of you need on if, if there's one book, if there's one book on this subject that I would encourage you to, to get, it's Brother Lawrence's Practicing the Presence of God. Because here's a he's just a guy. He's just a guy. In fact, he's a clumsy guy. He started out trying to be a footman, and he just kept making mistakes and breaking things. And it's in the 1700s. And and then and then he spends ten years. He decides to go in. He decides to become a monk, and he spends ten years of just trying to be a monk, and it's not working. And he feels bad about it. And and then all of a sudden, one day, he just kind of just let it all go and decided he was just going to follow Jesus. He was just going to love Jesus. That was it. He just, I'm just going to love you, Lord. And if that's enough, great. If it's not enough, eh." literally, that was his mentality. He didn't know for sure if it was going to get him salvation. Towards the end of his life, he figured it out. But in the middle of the process, he really didn't know if just loving Jesus was going to be enough to get him saved. He just decided, you know, That's what makes sense to me. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to love Jesus. And so, it's a series of letters that he, a series of letters and conversations. It's, It's just great. But this is one. This is a great statement. Our only business is to love and delight in God. That's our only business. That's it. We have no other business in the universe but to love and delight in God. So, here's another one. Now, this is by Frank Laubach. He wrote a book in the 1930s. He was a, he was a missionary. He wrote a book in the 1930s entitled uh, Letters from a Modern Mystic. And these are letters he wrote to his dad. And obviously, there's not, all, not all of those in the book. But this is one of the quotes. And, I, and I, I, have, I have this one. My beloved wife can attest to this, wherever she is. I have this one pasted on my, on my wall in my study so I can see it often. And this just says so much. We've got to saturate ourselves with the rainbows and the sunset marvels in order to radiate them. Did you hear that? Is our goal to radiate God? Yes. But we can't unless we saturate ourselves with rainbows and sunset marvels. It is as much our duty to live in the beauty of the presence of God on some mount of transfiguration, whatever that means, until we become white with Christ, as it is for us to go down where they grope and grovel and groan and lift them to new life, which is what we think our job is, right? Being good Christians, going out and saving the world. Laubach's suggestion, that's second. This is first. After all, the deepest truth is that the Christ-like life is glorious, undefeatably glorious. How many of you feel defeated? Don't raise your hands. How many of you feel defeated? That's not the life that Christ has intended you to have, because the Christ—he was a missionary for many years, and and he's well known for other things as well is glorious, undefeatably glorious. There is no defeat unless one loses God and then all is defeat, though it be housed in castles and buried in fortunes, which is the words you can't see. So I'd like to suggest to you, and I'm wrapping up here, I would like to suggest to you that we have to redefine our comfort zone and we have to make the decision of what is important in life. And I'm going to make the decision that to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, that I may obtain to the resurrection from out among the dead while still in the body. That's a pretty good goal. That's a pretty good motivation of life. And if it isn't, you're going to miss some of the blessings of being a believer. Knowing the love of Jesus is pretty cool. John, uh, The Apostle John said, I think it's in 1 John 4, uh, he said, we love because he first loved us. You've heard that before? How cool is that? What does that allow you to do? How many of you feel, don't don't raise your hands. How many of you really feel loved by Jesus? I mean, really feel loved by Jesus. How many of you go through days where you're not convinced you feel loved by Jesus? Jesus, I don't think you love me. What does that verse get to do? We love because he first loved us. Okay, God, I don't feel, I can't love you because I don't feel loved. I can't love you because I don't feel, your your, your book says it. He loved because I love because you first loved me. I can't love you. I don't feel loved. I want to feel love so I can love you back. A plus B, B equals If A equals B, B equals A. How cool is that? That's one of my favorite prayers. Lord, show me your love so I can love you back. Lord, let me experience your love so I can love you back. Is that a motivation of life? Absolutely. Here's a big one. It is possible for us to never leave his presence. It is possible for us to never leave his presence. All of these guys have done it. Well, they've been working at it. I don't know if any of them made it. I don't know for sure. Well, Brother Lawrence, I think, did. I think he made it. That's one of the reasons why I look forward to meeting him. And that's one of the reasons why he's my hero. There are 2,000 years of human beings who say that it's possible. So, the conclusion is... Our new comfort zone needs to be no flesh, all Jesus, all kingdom. How do I deal with my own stuff? So we're about to go into communion, and worship team, if you'd be kind enough to come back. Thank you for so much. Um, we're going we're gonna to spend some time in prayer, in, in worship, and then we're going we're gonna to do communion. And I'd like to suggest that this communion is, as well as communion with, with each other, but it's really communion with Jesus. And, and these are some questions I'd like to encourage you to ask the Lord: Are my assets in the way of knowing You? Now, for many of you, this just may not be the. I mean, you, 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 you may be farther along the path than I am. All I know is that this is a truism for me. It's a truism for me. I know that my liabilities are in, my assets are liabilities, and I work constantly and daily that the Lord would release me from that so that I could function. And I think this is part of the whole thing of a comfort zone because you see, when you recognize that your assets are liabilities, that means you're willing to move outside of your assets of the things you do well in order for yourself to experience the presence of God. That's part of it. Have you allowed God to be the safest, God's will to be the safest place? Because I think that that element is true but not for your flesh. God's will is the worst place for your flesh. The absolutely worst place because God is committed to killing your flesh. He's committed to that. And you can read gobs of, of, of... I mean, that's just all across the scriptures. God is committed to killing your flesh. God is committed to becoming all in all in your life. And if you are even a little bit, he's committed to killing that. So that, you can he can be all in all in you And you can be all in all in Him. So I think this becomes what we need to be and need to do. Is that somehow we need to find ourselves comfortable with being owned? And be owned not by ourselves, but being owned by someone far, far greater. So the ushers are going to put the uh, the communion elements up. And so in the course of the next many, many minutes, uh, as you're hanging out with the Lord and we're worshiping, feel free to indulge in the the body and blood of Jesus that we might imbibe in him and who he is and that we might desire to know him better through this process. Jesus, pray that you would place within our hearts a desire to know you. We acknowledge the fact that we can't even know you. We can't even desire to know you unless you place the desire within our hearts. And I ask Jesus, you would place the desire within our hearts to know you in such a way that it is impossible for us to ignore. We I ask, Lord Jesus, that you'd make it clear what our role is in this process, what it means to acknowledge our assets as liabilities. Lord, I don't think that means that we, that we need to get down on ourselves because it's it's just who we are and, and, and what we are. But I believe, Lord Jesus, it... it Means holding them differently, seeing them differently, and being willing to be constantly out of what we would like to think as our comfort zone, into what you called us to be as our comfort zone. So that we are constantly comfortable with you deciding every moment of every day. That as we, we walk through our lives then we're constantly faced with chal- challenges, that we, we experience these challenges in your presence and that we begin to acknowledge that you are there always to, to help us in our challenges and that in that process we begin to to really recognize that the things you've given us as strengths are really a secondary element but that really what's primary is being in your presence and letting that affect our every second of every life and Lord none of us have attained this but we desire to grab hold of that for which you have grabbed hold of us. We don't know what it is, but we know that it's something magnificent and incredible and beyond our wildest dreams. And it, it may be something that starts here and ends a million years from now. We don't know. But we know that you love us so much that you have designed us for something because you, you have called us for a specific thing. Lord, we want to be captured by the upward call in you. That's what we want to be captured by, the upward call. We want to be so passionate about knowing you that everything else pales in in, in comparison. Everything else does. And you're the only one that can do that for us, Jesus. We cannot cannot make that happen ourselves we can't we simply can't we don't have the capacity to want to know you and so we acknowledge that and we put it in your hands we let it go we acknowledge that that so much of us is skyballon and we let it go and we're we know that you will do what you want to do in our lives And there'll be times when it's uncomfortable, but they will always have the sense of comfort, of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because that's what the kingdom of God is. And that's what you've called us to to be a part of. You are so amazing. You are so amazing. Oh my word, open our eyes to see how amazing you are.